This episode is brought to you by IBKR Event Trader. IBKR Event Trader offers a new way to trade futures. Use event contracts to trade your opinion on yes or no questions in key CME futures markets, including equity indices, energy, metals, and foreign currencies. For example, will the price of gold close above $2,000 today? Yes or no? Take a position daily on potential price movements and gain exposure while limiting risk. Learn more at eventtrader.interactivebrokers.com. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Markets sway with every breath that Powell takes. Ah, uh, it's certain a little ridiculous. October was followed by a November to remember and we're searching for that golden ticket, the real MacGuffin, with our guest, Ben Hunt. All this and much more on episode number 793 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to December 2022, the last month of the year. And here we are heading into what could be a crazy year of 2023. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And also, of course, on DH Unplugged, where myself, John C. Dvorak, we get together each week on Tuesday nights live and we talk about well, the lightest side of finance and some of the interesting things that go on with regard to the news headlines and Try to break them down and better understand them so that we could all be better investors. On this show, we have some great guests. On this show, we talk about investments and finances and the goings-on on a regular basis. And, and the real core of what we're doing here is obviously about your long-term financial security. So thank you so much for joining me for the past 15, 16 years or whatever exactly it is now. Let's see. It's, uh, it was uh, 2007. So yeah, 15 years. Pretty good. Nice run and going strong. Well, today I want to talk about a few different things before we get to our guest, but I want to spend a good amount of time with our guest today, Ben Hunt, because he is just a wealth of information, just a, a just such a pleasure to spend time with every time that I have the opportunity to talk with him, either on the show or off the show, but just a, an incredible resource. And if you haven't had the opportunity to spend some time listening or reading what he talks about, it will be, I promise you, it's going to be a real treat. It really is. But I want to reel back a little bit. I want to talk about what happened in November because you remember October was an incredible month. We called it, the, you know, Stocktober. It was it in, just, a, there was a lot of surprises, a lot of things that happened. There was this anticipation of peak inflation starting to finally roll over and good things were going to happen. And, and, the, the bad may have been exhausted. Pe people were looking at everything with a glass half full and maybe somewhere in the middle of October that got washed out. Now, maybe that got to a point that 
for the time being, it got washed out. But long term, who knows? Are we going to quote unquote test and retest the bottoms again? Are we going to find out that there's a lot more implications of the FTX downfall that goes and hits on the rest of the financial markets? Are we going to see that earnings are a problem? Well, that's not a concern right now. Right now, November comes up, and it was even a more impressive month, especially because it was much more broad-based of a move. Now, maybe the actual equity markets did not have that unbelievable performance like we saw in October when the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up, what, 14%, right? But at the same time, we saw that other asset classes did really well because all the talk about higher rates and the concern about the direction of inflation, it seemed to have shut down during the month. And bond yields retreated, stocks held up, and the U.S. dollars finally started to weaken. And the good news about last month was that what we saw was that fixed income started to come back in favor. And currency-sensitive positions saw buyers stepping in. And what that happened, what happened with that was a really interesting thing because if you really understand the the way the markets work in terms of currency relation and rate issues, emerging markets led by China had a great month. There were these rumors in China about changing their zero COVID policy. They're swirling around. Everybody's getting excited about it. And that provided a bit of what I would consider false hope because it doesn't seem like they're changing anything at all. But even so, the narrative that is being pushed and that is benefiting Asian and emerging market equities is firmly entrenched with the idea that things are going to get better. Maybe the elderly will start taking vaccines and that will slow down the problems. And maybe China will say, hey, you know, maybe we're going to be less restrictive. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on that at all. But there's something that at least the markets and investors are starting to warm up to. And the returns within that region were even further enhanced by the strength of the underlying currencies against the U.S. dollar. And that was also the case for non-denominated uh, debt, non-dollar denominated debt within both the uh, developed and emerging markets. We saw REITs, real estate, and utilities, and other sectors that benefit from lower rates, well-supported. And what do we have going into the end of the year now? We have seasonality, which definitely favors equities, right? Because right now what we're looking for is this hope trade that we're going to get this Santa Claus rally. And that the race to the closing bell on the final day of the trading year is going to be seasonally, seasonably positive for equities. That has been something there's been a lot of talk about. The question is, do we burn out all of the fuel that we had in October, November? That's a big question. The bigger question is whether the Grinch, also known as Jay Powell, and his little band of nasty elves, which is, of course, the voting members of the Fed, may come in the way of all of that and essentially pour a cold water reality bath on any excess enthusiasm. I, that That's the biggest issue. That, that That's my biggest concern because uh, while they, on one hand, we can say, well, they've been... They've been playing a straight arrow. You know, they say they're going to do this and they do that. But I still wonder if it's 
What the markets are telling them to do is how they react, and that's what they do. That's what they say. The markets are wagging the dog. The markets are providing what the Fed fund future chances are for a particular rate hike, which December is now at about, the likelihood is about 75% probability for a 50 basis point hike, especially after last week's jobs numbers hasn't moved very much because Jay Powell in a speech said, well, we may consider this. And that was a green light. Markets went straight up last week on that news. It was fast. It was furious. And even with a better than expected employment report, while employment stayed at three points, unemployment rate stayed at 3.75%, uh, and th- there was a better addition and wages were better. And all of the things that went into that were the initial reaction was to take down markets really hard on that news and to spike up interest rates. That started coming back again. Where we were about a month and a half ago on the 10-year is a far cry from where we are now. About three-quarters of a percent has come off the 10-year. We're sitting on about 3.5% or so, give or take, whereas we were at four and a quarter for a little moment there. That is pretty incredible what's happening. And a lot of this, I think, is by design, and I think... What Jay Powell wants to do is obviously slow this all down, and we have to question whether or not he's going to do so with a bunch of 50 basis points or, you know, if that's such a great thing. Or if we're seeing aberrations that really are a new basis for what monetary policy should be based on. Something to think about. With that in mind, I am anxious to get to our guest, so I'm doing that right now. And our guest today is Ben Hunt. No, not the basketball player. No, not the Ben Hunt, the rugby player. It's better. Ben Hunt, the master linguist, the game theory expert, the market and general historian, the deaf storyteller, the seeker of irony, co-founder and partner of Second Foundation Partners and creator of Epsilon Theory. Hey, like that, Ben. I like that a lot. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, when I first went on Twitter and... Uh, you know, I was getting all this stuff for, for Ben Hunt, the rugby player. Yeah, absolutely right. That's not you. <laughs> I want Actually to um, just introduce everybody. It's been a while since you've been on, but I want to tell them about Epsilon Theory. It, and just from what you have on your site, we could expand on that. And we have a lot to talk about otherwise. But Epsilon Theory is sec- Second Foundation's principal publishing brand. And it's a newsletter and website that examines markets through the lenses of game theory and history. There's over 100,000 professional investors and allocators across 180 countries that read Epsilon Theory for its fresh, not to mention all the people that are just glancing. These are the people that you know about, <laughs> right? You know? Exactly. Uh, for yeah. its fresh perspective and novel insights and market dynamics. And Ben is the chief investment officer, as we call it in the business, the CIO, uh, primarily responsible for determining the company's investment views and positioning of model portfolios. He's also the primary author of materials attributed, distributed by Epsilon Theory. So last you were on was August 2020. Oh my God, that's a long time ago. Yeah, so you were in the we we were in the midst of the we're all gonna die, you know that that yeah sure that moment, and um you know during that time we talked about there was something going on and you'll probably remember this because you wrote about it but we I had this 
I called you about this because this is something that was really bugging me, and then you wrote about it, so we kind of went through it. But it was the great grift. And in, in, in particular, we were talking about Kodak. Remember that whole Oh, sure. Absolutely. Crazy, I we were both saying like, wait, so they issued debt, but then they did this and then that. What? How? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your first time on the show, by the way, was back April 17th, 2016. And you know what we were talking Easy. about back then? No idea. Pretty much what we're talking about today, game theory and the Fed. <laughs> <laughs> Things, the six years plus, it hasn't, I mean, not that you have, listen, it's not that your stuff is stale. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm saying it's the same shit. It is absolutely the same shit. Right? Same shit, different different days, same shit. Yep. Your microphone's a little funky. You got something going on there? A little, sounds like scratchy. Uh, I don't think so, but let me uh, let me make sure I've got it on the right mic. So, yeah, maybe it's too close. It sounds like it's just getting beat up a little bit. Maybe it's me. Is it me? No, not my side. So what we do. We go live to tape. That's how we do these shows. So you can hear all the good stuff. I'm assuming. So let's, um, let's, let's see if that's any better. All right. That sounds good. All right. Let's talk about uh, another grift. So we're going back to what we talked about in 2020, which was all about uh, let's get all the money from the government and – Screw everybody along the way, and that was everybody's thesis, right? So now we have another grift that you've been talking about, which is FTX. Which yep. I, right, would you call, would you classify that as a grift? Oh, it's an old fashioned con. I mean, it is it is in the in the same realm as Enron. Uh, it's got elements of WorldCom oh. in it. If you know you and some of your listeners can, you know. Remember back to, to Bernie Ebers' days at WorldCom, mm -hmm. it's got elements of uh, certainly Bernie Madoff. It's got elements of Lehman Brothers. It's got elements of MF Global. So it's, it's like a, a greatest hits version of all the big uh, financial cons over the, over the last couple of decades. It had a little bit of Dennis Kozlowski in there too, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. I'm smelling yeah. golden shower curtains and things or faucets and stuff. It's just in a different way, you know, yeah, different exactly. levels of money. You know, he didn't buy the car, but he bought the land or he bought the company. Or Man, I hadn't thought about Dennis Kozlowski in a long time. <laughs> How great was that thanks, guy? Thanks for, thanks for bringing me back. Yeah, <laughs> he was right up the block. He was right up in Boca Raton, Florida, right up the block from me. And it was just oh, all happening God. right here. <laughs> oh boy. That's, is, that's a, that's a great comparison actually. So you wrote about um, the MacGuffin and yep. everybody has a MacGuffin, which I think bears a moment for you to kindly explain. explain. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I actually, the, the, the idea of a MacGuffin, it comes from Hollywood. And the fact is that every movie you've ever seen, as a MacGuffin and a MacGuffin, Alfred Hitchcock was the one who, you know, really was first talking about this. It is the object of desire. So it's the thing in a movie, the idea, the thing, the well, whatever shiny, it is. Shiny that, penny, that the shiny penny. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's the thing that, that people want and that the entire plot revolves around, mm. right? So it could be, you know, there's some obvious examples, the Maltese Falcon, right? I mm -hmm. mean, the, the, yeah. the MacGuffin is that little statue, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings, right? The MacGuffin yes. is the ring, my the precious, ring of power, my precious. Right? Yep. But in a, in a, in a mystery movie, the MacGuffin is who done it. 
right? In a in a horror movie, the MacGuffin is, um, you know, getting out safe, right? The way out. Oh yeah. So, but so every movie you've ever seen, every scripted TV show has got a MacGuffin, and once you start looking for it, you'll see it everywhere in movies and TV shows. But the important thing, I think, when we're thinking about what motivates us in politics or in markets is that we have a MacGuffin in the stories we tell ourselves, in the story that we tell ourselves about our own life. About what, you know, what, your story, what is, what's the object of desire? And I, it, for so many of us in finance, the, the object of desire is to find, I call it the, 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 the magical money machine, right? It's the, the goose that lays the golden eggs. It's the, uh, the, you know, the spinning wheel that spins straw into gold. Uh, you know, it's, it's something you see in mythology all, all, all around the world and, and going back as far as you want. But there, there are always these myths and legends about the magical money machine. And the fact is, it's not just a myth and legend. It's also what we, <laughs> yeah, we people get involved in markets where we're trying to find that magical money machine. That's our MacGuffin, our MacGuffin. And it's, it's something certainly that's been the MacGuffin for, for, for most of my life. And it's not a great thing to have as, you know, the, your, your MacGuffin, the, the, you know, what you organize your life around, but if I'm being honest, that's, that's what's always kind of motivated me, certainly in my professional life. And I bet a lot of your listeners will feel the same way. And, 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 and it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good example using the Lord of the Lord of the Rings and uh, mm-hmm. with, with the, the, the hypnotic and um, almost OCD slash, absolute uh, focus on the ring, you know, by what's his face, you know, the, the, what was his name? Uh, the, the other little fella. Oh, all of them, all of, yeah. all of the, the, yeah, right, right, uh, the it was, it wasn't just the hobbits, right? right. It wasn't just Bilbo and Freddy's. Everybody is focused on the ring or the whole plot revolves around the ring. So you have that with people where it's like, okay, the Bernie Madoffs that everybody wants to have the magical and, and, I guess it's a good time to ask you because I've been thinking about this a lot. What is with the magical 15% annual return? <laughs> it was all yeah. about Madoff. It was all, it's 15%. Is it just, it's not 20. Apparently, so apparently that's the number you have to offer people for them to believe anything you tell them. Right. So if 20, 20 could be a lie, but 10 could, is yeah, not 20, enough. 20 is unrealistic. 10 is not enough, but 15%. <laughs> And, and honestly, I, I tell you this, Andrew, you see this all the time. It's become a joke in the hedge fund world, too, because whenever somebody launches a new fund or you're describing, and I've done this, too, what you promise or what you no, promise, I'll never use that word, what you um, what you indicate yeah, yeah. to investors, right, yeah. that, that you're, what you're hope, your hoped for return profile, you always describe it. As mid-teen returns. Mid-teen. There you go. <laughs> mid-teens, right? <laughs> yeah, low to mid-teens because it's 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 enough to get everybody's appetite wetted. And it's 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 not so much that people say, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, he's ripping me off. Yeah. <laughs> he's ripping me off. But we had these, you know, I, and I've described and I've told my 
listeners over the years, I've had many clients come to me with the Rothstein deals, which is, again, down the block from me, and the Madoff deals. I never could understand the Madoff deals. I'll tell you this. I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. I had Madoff statements in my office, and I tried mm-hmm. to just do a very fast, down and dirty view of what he was doing, which was simply an option uh, or uh, premium enhancement program, whatever you want to call it, whatever exactly what he was doing, basically selling option calls out of the money against positions yeah. to add yeah, income. Split, right? split strike option. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, let me get this straight. So, okay, this is your statement. And he did two options on that amount of money. And I'm assuming everybody has the same thing and let's calculate it. So I'm thinking he's got to have sold, I don't know, maybe 500 of these options. There is no volume anywhere. Yeah. That is consistent yeah. with this. And I, and that's easy to see because it's, it's not, options don't trade in that kind of volume. Yeah. But, but, but let me, let me tell you, Andrew. So, so, and this is going to have, this has real connection to what SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried was trying to do with FTX. Madoff, in addition to his Ponzi scheme investment fund, he was also a market maker, mm-hmm. right? He also had a totally legit business that had, you know, hundred people employed, you'd go to the, you know, the, his offices and you'd have 30 people in front of screens and that wasn't fake. They yeah. were, they were doing real market making activity. And what Bernie did was that he had permission because he was, you know, a godfather in the, in that options world. He cleared his own trades. I'll say that again. He cleared his own trades. Right, but they still have to be reported. No, 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 but this is the thing. He was able to use that. You know, you're right. On, on your, your detective work, right, say there wasn't any volume, right? How could this be? That's absolutely right. But what he would do is he say, well, you know, maybe it was this other option or was this. And ah. he would say, I'm clearing my own trade. So, mm. you know, it, do, it doesn't go through a clearinghouse. There's no record other than just looking at aggregate volume that you could say, oh, here were the trades that were executed and they went through a clearinghouse. He didn't have to do that. Mm. And Andrew, here's the thing. That's exactly the sort of regulatory approval that SBF was trying to get from uh, the U.S. government, from the SEC and from the CFTC, the uh, Commodity Futures uh, Trading Commission that was his, his principal regulator. He was trying to get that same sort of, you know, invisibility ring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, no, all, all in one in-house, all in one in-house. That's right, that's, that's right. Yeah. Exactly it. So, you know, there are these characteristics of famous cons from the past that SBF was using. He was using this, he was trying to get the ability to self-clear so that nobody could ever catch him at, transferring funds and playing the shell game that all Ponzi schemes ultimately end up doing. He was doing uh, off balance sheet entities, which was the big thing with Enron. Um, He was doing just, just flat out accounting lying, which was, uh, you know, you mentioned Dennis Kozlowski at Tyco and Bernie Ebers at, at, at WorldCom. I say it was, it was like a greatest hits album Uh, of all these these financial crimes. Can I ask you this though? Is it possible he was just a moron that somehow it just because of the timing and all this stuff? And because it seems to me that this guy's not, even though he came off as smart and all that, it just seems like maybe he was really stupid. 
No, I, th- I think he's actually very smart. Uh, but I, but I do think this. I don't think it started off this way, and I, and I think this was true for Madoff. It was true for Enron. It, it's true for anybody who thinks they have a magical money machine. They think they, they found it, uh, but it never lasts. And when it breaks down, that's when you first decide, oh, I'll just transfer this money from here to there. It's just temporary. Yeah, this one time, one time. Just this one time. Just this one time until <laughs> until the magical money machine starts working again. Because I think his hedge fund, I think it worked really well in the very early years. So 2017, 2018, I think he had a magical money machine. And it's because it was still very early days in that crypto hedge fund space. He was one of the first ones into it. And I think there were plenty of, you know, pigeons flying around in 2017, 2018. But as what always happens, the easy money that he was making attracted some people who were, frankly, a lot better traders than him, real Wall Street professionals who came down to the Caribbean and set up their own crypto hedge fund, crypto trading operation. And they ate him alive. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> ate him alive. Right, because they figured out the other side of the whole deal. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. But he's still on the hook to give that 15% to his investors and that's when he this went man. down this path of trying to hide it. Yeah. And the way he hid it was to make a market maker, just like Madoff did. Mm. And Madoff didn't start with the hedge fund. He started with the market maker and then did the hedge fund. SBF kind of flipped that on its head. But it's the same idea. You, you, you get into the flow business, a market maker business, and it lets you keep the Ponzi going for a lot longer than you otherwise could. Yeah. Let me take a quick break. I want to talk about two other magic money machines when we get back. And the reason why I want to stop right here is because I want to talk about interactive brokers and their simple IBKR global trader app because it makes it so easy for anyone to invest in stocks worldwide. You can scan the market for opportunities. You can deposit in your local currency and you can trade stocks in the U.S., in Canada, Europe, and in Asia. So there's an incredible breadth of, of opportunities where you can actually trade. You could take a free trial of IBKR Global Trader and gain instant access to a paper trading account with $10,000 in simulated cash. It's very simple. It's worldwide. And you could easily trade global stocks from your phone or your tablet, which is really Pretty unbelievable. The idea that you could also deposit in your local currency and trade stocks in over 80 stock exchanges around the world allows you to really have some incredible, uh, I, I would I would say, breadth of what you could do. The, the ability to do that puts the world in the palm of your hand. So start your free trial today at ibkr.com slash global trader. So let's talk about two magic money machines. I want to talk about, I think that a lot of the stuff that happened recently in the last two years, two years, I'm going to talk about two years, three years, was created by SoftBank. Mm -hmm. Something about these guys always just 
bugged the crap out of me. You know, these are guys that have unlimited amount of money because investors keep giving them money thinking they're just, you know, gods. And you remember when they did that weird gamma squeeze where they bought out of the money call options for uh, on sure. big companies? And, and all of a sudden one day, like the Microsofts, the Googles, all these companies went up like five, six percent, like out of nowhere. And then the, yeah. the house all fell. And that particular uh what do you call, I, don't, I don't want to call it a, a strategy. That that con, that whatever that was, is going on a lot, isn't it? Well, I think I think yes and no. I think that I, I call these snowball strategies. In other words, you you try to you you start off at the top of the hill and you start rolling down a hundred different snowballs, and you're what you're hoping for is that one or two of them will turn into big snowballs and ultimately into avalanches and your position down at the bottom of the hill to take advantage of that. So it's a, it's a volume game, right? And you see this on Reddit with meme stocks. You see that with the idea of a, of a gamma squeeze. So it's, it's, it's distasteful. Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't think it's illegal. I think it is, what you would call in kind of poker terms, a pure playing the player bluffing type of strategy. And it can work. I think we've seen it work for a, a, a good periods of time. The, the problem with those strategies is that they fail with somebody with a bigger stack sits down at the table, right? Sure. Somebody you just can't bluff at it and someone you can't just, you know, just overwhelm with the size of your stack. And, it, and it, ultimately, that's what happens to all of these guys. And no matter how big your stack is, there are other people and combinations of other people, and that's usually how it happens, who can get together and have a bigger stack than, than, than you do. There's and, always and a bigger stack. There's always a bigger always stack. Always a bigger stack. That's you exactly. Know, but it, but as a stop, people like that from trying to bully the table for as long as they can. And um, what often happens, this happened to SoftBank also because they've, they've unwound that whole group because they ended up losing a lot of money. After they made a lot of money, then they lost even more money because somebody with a bigger stack always finds you out. Yeah. Now, that reminds me of this or that brings me to the second um, area, which has been something that you recently wrote about. It comes in two flavors. It's when you take a very simple calculation like, one plus one minus one, and somehow you make it equal two. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about, first off, uh, old-fashioned money printing. We have to have a new name for it today. It has to be you know, called quantitative easing or something like that, of course, because sterilization mm -hmm. of this and that and this whole reasoning and theory. And all, it's freaking money printing, okay? that We know that. Uh, it's where we basically, we don't have to print money anymore. It's more of Excel bookkeeping, right? Move from that yeah. side over there to that side over there. Yeah. So I moved yeah. it from my pocket left to my pocket right, and somehow I still have two out of it somehow. Um, and it also happens in something you wrote about recently, which is about stock buybacks. And yeah. you talked about over the past decade, stock buybacks, which I love how you put the TM up there, you know, the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. thing, you know, you, it's a you, thing. You, you breathe life into the words, which is, you know, um, and I love the people on like CNBC. They're like, oh, they're doing stock buybacks. It's one of the reasons we're buying the stock, which by the way, it has some merit. There's some merit there, you know, absolutely. But, but at the same time, it's, it's a really poor excuse for doing your homework on this, on the company. Right. But well, well, Andrew, look, the, 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 the problem with stock buybacks is, when they're used to hide 
not money printing, but stock printing, right? right. Because what, what, what has exploded in you know, American corporate finance, particularly S&P 500, is stock-based compensation. It has just skyrocketed, right, compared to what it used to be. And what happens is that when you dilute your shareholders with the stock that you're giving to management, the ridiculous stock grants you're giving to me, I mean, it really is ridiculous. It, yeah, it hurts your numbers, right? And, and, it, and it looks bad and it's all like this. And, and besides, it's just stock. So what has happened is that companies more and more are doing a stock buyback, but they're only buying back shares that they have just printed and given to management, right? But that's not every company. So Some companies have actually shrunk their float significantly. Well, well, like, like there are good guys, and I like call it the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? The good in something like this is a company that actually shrinks share count. I, when I was running my hedge fund, I loved companies that used buybacks to do that, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's fantastic to me as an investor. And the best example I've got of that is Apple. Yeah, Apple. That's, that's the, that's the, the Starbucks is another one. Yeah, Starbucks is another one. So sure. look over the last 10 years, uh, Apple has used ni- more than 90%, something like 92, 93% of its free cash flow to actually give money back to shareholders in the mm-hmm. form of shrinking the share count and giving a dividend. Starbucks has given over 100% of its free cash flow over the last 10 years back to shareholders with a true stock buyback and dividends. But on the flip side, you've got the bad and the ugly. Google and Meta, you know, used to be Facebook, we'll call it Meta now, but these are companies that have used in the case of Google, 63% of its free cash flow. In the case of Meta, 76% of its free cash flow to monetize stock-based compensation, right? They've done stock buybacks, but they haven't reduced the share count. What they've done is they've paid off the management, the employees that they printed new shares of stock and gave it to. It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's it's, it's the biggest, I think, legal con, <laughs> you know, in, in, in Wall Street today. Uh, so now you bet you're going to tell me that it's the same people that are getting the stock-based compensation that are approving the share, share repurchase plans. It's exactly it. <laughs> oh, really? It's exactly, no, you know, that's it. It's, it's, it, it's crazy, right? And, and, but it, but you can't, if you say that this is bullshit, people say, oh, well, you might, you're anti-capitalism. You know, this is, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm so pro-capitalism, which is why I'm looking up for the actual shareholders because it's my money as a shareholder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The, the free cash flow, that's mine as a shareholder. And using it to buy back stock that one hand has given management and now the other hand management is paying themselves for it. It's bullshit. Terrible. Let me, uh, I want to move over to social media for a second. You're rel- relatively prolific. You like Twitter. I know you like Twitter. Um, I do. and, uh, I don't know about anything else that you're on because 
I'm not really on anything else, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Twitter, I know, because mm -hmm. it's, it's a very good, for me, it's a good medium. You know, I like it's quick. It's easy. I can yep. usually just get the stuff I want. Now, let me talk to you and ask you a question generally about the concept of social media and its impact, not only on investing, but on a bigger, bigger impact, right? Um, first of all, your thoughts on is, is social media good or bad for, we'll just say society? Oh, it's, I, I think it's the death of society. Frank. Okay. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it, 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 uh, it atomizes us, right? It, it, it removes the human real life connections we have. I, I mean, Andrew, the last thing I look at when I go to bed at night is my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning is my iPhone. I mean, not my wife, my iPhone. And how pathetic is that? And, but yeah. but that that Don't but tell her that. I, 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 I trust me, she knows. And <laughs> so it's anyway. I I think that the biggest boon we could have for society would be to destroy Facebook. Um, That's happening. Seriously. That's happening. They're doing it themselves. I think somehow. they're doing it themselves. A pretty good job. <laughs> pretty right. good job. Yeah. But Hope let's they, talk uh, about but social up. media. What about the markets? You know. So, well, hold that for a second. I want to go, let me, okay. let me step back. I want to talk about the new Twitter. I, I am, yeah. you know, uh, I am this Elon Musk fan of his creativity in building companies. And, yep. and Elon Musk just disgusted with the rest of his crap. That's, yeah. me, that's me. That's me. Yeah. I, I feel very similarly. I really do. Yeah. I really what, do. This, this, this new Twitter, which now he, bought because he was concerned about something one day. Really, he, he had one of his immature moments and decided to put, put, you know, 420 again onto something that he yeah, thinks exactly. is funny, you know, and maybe say right. the word penis and 69 in the sentence or something like that. And ha, yep. ha, ha. It's so weird. But he he goes in and, and he, he talks about the bots and he talks about all these bots and the bots and the bots and the bots and the bots. And then he does a poll of whether or not to bring back uh, President Trump on suspend his account and a poll to yeah. bring back an amnesty of all the other suspended accounts as long as they're not doing anything illegal with polls on a platform that he said is rift, or rife, I guess, rife, with with bots. Now, what am I missing? It's, it's desperation, man. I mean, you're getting your um, advertisers are fleeing. And you've got to make this work because you got, you know, $44 billion. You've still got a lot of debt out there that and you're running at a loss right now. So it's, it's, it's not like your losses are limited to the 44 billion, man. You've got to, you've got to turn this thing around. So, you know, you, you try to find new revenue streams, $8 a month. I mean, I'm not paying, I'm not paying. Eight dollars a month for Twitter. I'm just not. I'd pay. No, wait, wait. I would pay $8 a month for Twitter. Let's, let me just state my point to you. Same with yours. Yeah, yeah. I'd pay yeah. $8 a month for Twitter, not for some cockamamie, whatever that blue thing is. Oh, There's yeah. a difference. Oh, for sure. But, sure, for sure. I, I I might pay $8 a month to get rid of all the bots. Yes. But, but then I just feel like I've been held hostage, right? Because he could get rid of them tomorrow. And what you're saying that you're, we're going to give like, we're going to subject you to like fraud and scams, yeah. you know, unless you pay me $8. Yeah, 10, month, 10 plagues will be on your house unless you pay me $8. Yeah. 
it's just awful. On your, on, so now with all of this that's going on, so now bring together what's going on with Twitter, new Twitter, old Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and markets. I want to bring this together. Now, transfer of information these days is is fast, which is an understatement. You know, it's 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 faster than you can send a Bitcoin to wallet to wallet, I'll tell you right now, okay, unless you go the lightning route. I mean, mm-hmm. what that means is you need to make fast decisions. Now, I'm not saying you. I'm saying the markets. I'm talking about the bigger picture, the markets. So news breaks, for example, that OPEC may be going to raise production oil skids lower by 5%. Then someone in OPEC denies it, and the oil moves back up 5%. So because things are moving so fast, and because of the transmission process, there's no time to confirm the truth. So you follow me on this? Yeah. So. We're living in this world of one-second clips anyway, which everybody says, well, what's the difference? Nobody really pays attention to anything but the headline and all that, which is very misleading. How do, how do, how do, how do you tiptoe through the raindrops in this kind of environment to, to try to get the right information? Well, I, and I'm going to tell you, this is one of the things, the thing that I still like about Twitter, which is that, I find that I can, I'll tell you, I'll say it's a mosaic approach, right? There are people I trust when they write something on Twitter. Uh, There are a lot of, you get a lot of different views and angles on an issue. And I find that it's so much more responsive than mainstream media. I find Mm -hmm. that it's so much faster is true right but it but it's but it's not just an issue of speed it's an issue of i'll say crowdsourcing uh information and i i think i think elon's on to something with that uh, and i think that that is a feature not a bug but a feature of twitter that is worth a lot certainly that is worth a lot to me but it gets drowned out by, say, the other uses of moving too fast, which is that you just get the usual political bullshit from both sides. Mm-hmm. And um, and on Twitter today, particularly on, you know, the 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 bullshit right right wing stuff. So, and I but I tell you that you know you ask you know. Do you have time to verify and all like that? No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 what I find is is that you get a lot of different angles on a question in a much more timely fashion, and frankly, in a more trustworthy fashion because it is coming from lots of different places. Then I find that I get from mainstream media. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that's why I, I choose it. Let's uh, finish up on this point since you are the chief, the CIO, and all of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, what does 2023 look like? By the way, China recently, the way China is is acting, you know, with the making a decision one day, reversing daily. Xi Jinping, in my opinion, seems to be he, he obviously graduated from the Elon Musk school of management. You know, that seems like what's going on in China lately. You know, they're usually pretty steadfast in what they do. Now they're just all over the place. But we have this question of a hard or soft landing. I don't even know what the hell that means. Why does anybody care? It's a hard landing, soft landing. It's just, you know, what we have Russia. What's what's the end game? What, what do you got in mind for 2023? 
So I, I think that we're in for a nasty global recession. I think that it'll actually hit the United States less hard than it hits everywhere else. And I think that it'll be people just holding on for dear life until you get the Fed finally turning things around in terms of interest rates, putting the punch bowl back out there. My personal view is they're not going to put the punch bowl out there until they've crushed inflation, which means you have to crush demand. And to crush demand, you have to crush jobs, you have to crush all the speculative (laughs) nonsense, right? And that's a lot of pain. But I, I, I think that's what they're going to do. And so there will be much rending of garments and gnashing of teeth while that's taking place. And then there will be much celebration when they sound the all clear sound. But the all clear sound is going to be a half all clear. Let's be honest, because once they crush inflation, they bring it back to 2%. First of all, let's, let's both agree to something. If prices were X and now they're X plus by the time that happens, 15%, right? Time, you know, uh, yeah, no, I'm, it's I'm, gonna be the, I'm with you. It's going to be X yeah. plus 15%. Then inflating. I don't 2%. think we're ever, yeah, we're, we're never going back to ZERP in those days. And, but frankly, I, I, I think, I think it's just a lot healthier world if the risk-free rate is 4% or three and a half percent or whatever it ends up at, as opposed to zero. Right. Because it and, makes you think second I'll ask you the question I ask everybody. I know your answer is going to be right on. Here it goes. Ready? If you can borrow money at 0%, how much do you borrow? Infinite. All of it, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So when you have that kind of reckless attitude by a Fed or multiple central banks giving away money, then, then, by the way, giving away money on top of giving away money and then saying, hey, you know what? That money you spent, we're going to give back to you. Oh, because it was college or something? We, we come up with this reason? Or if it doesn't happen by that way, you don't have to pay it back till we decide that you don't have to pay it back? I mean, you know, it's, it's exactly. we live in some kind of an insane world of, oh, how do we get here? Yeah, that's it. That's it. But but I, I think there's, like I say, a lot of pain to get to, quote unquote, normalized cost of money. But I, I, I you know, we've got to get there. Yep. We've got to get there. I hear you. Just Let me sum it up here. There is no magical money machine and not definitely not right. one at 15%. That's first of all, or mid teens, I guess is what you said. <laughs> right? Okay. Social media, downfall of society, the atomization of us all. But yet, if you can curate appropriately, maybe it's a very beneficial opportunity, right? Fair enough. Yep. It's, it's or, or what is it beneficial? I'd say it's at least you know Helpful. a little better than yeah. the, uh, the the MSM alternative. Right. Stock buybacks, good, bad, ugly. There's a lot of places that uh, do it in a way that is beneficial for the shareholders. Yep. A lot of them are really just uh, just just checking that box, rubber stamping it, and saying, "Give me more money. Let's make mm-hmm. it look like it's actually going to somebody else, but it's coming to me." And uh, when it comes to um, the future, we think we have a lot of pain, potentially recession, less in the United States, worse in other places, but we're going to get through it is the point. And then, you know, go back to living. Right on, brother. Right, right on. Very good. Appreciate you coming by. 
My pleasure. We'll Anytime. We'll, All right. we'll, we won't wait two years next time. Where's the best place people get information for you from you? I'm, I'm Epsilon Theory everywhere. EpsilonTheory.com, at Epsilon Theory on Twitter. And um, come check it out. Yep. Go over there. We'll put the links on the show notes for episode number 793 on thedisciplineinvestor.com. Ben, thanks so much. Have a great new year. Have a great holiday. I wish you and your family the best. And do me a favor tonight, before you go to bed, the last thing I want you to look at is your wife, okay? <laughs> Good advice. Right. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. Same to you. All right, see you. Bye-bye. And that's going to wrap it up for episode number 793. Thank you so much for joining me. Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. So check out the show notes on this episode and others. Make sure you subscribe on any of the great podcasting apps that are out there. Of course, if you feel compelled, you can leave a review as well over on Apple or wherever else you get your, your, your podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back again next week with another great guest. I hope to see you soon. Hope you're doing well. Enjoy yourself. Here we go. We're getting heading to the barn. And let's uh, figure out what your magic money machine is. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. Music.